Which is a more likely reunion, Vinny? Mauricio Pochettino and Tottenham or Vinny Perth and Dundalk? There, there was the setup. I see it. <laughs> <laughs> OTB AM, weekdays from 7.30 a.m. Listen on the OTB Sports app. The OTB Podcast Network with Get Set Go. Quick start car insurance you can sort anytime online, then bounce on with your day. Get a quote today at getsetgo.ie. Oh, the shape that will get. You should get all the fans down. Can we not lock it? It's a fact. I love playing mind games. I'm talking about facts. I always said if I was Aladici, I would probably say I was more of a tactical genius. The answer questions on anything religious, <laughs> politics, uh, health, you know, sexual uh, problems. Look at his face! Just look at his face! None of you, except for those two, have done anything to justify the money that you earn. None of you, disgrace! And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Yes, you're very welcome along to Team 33, the football happy hour here in Off the Ball, and a call here with you for the next hour or so. Joined on the line by Colin Buig and by Kieran Bradley as well, because we're talking European football, we're talking Champions League final, the Europa League final, Pep's overthinking, Ollie's underthinking, and we're also going to pick our England selection for the Euros as well, with news that Gareth Southgate picked his 26-man squad coming earlier on this week. Get involved in the conversation, you can text us on 53106 or you can tweet us at team33 that's all spelled out in words or you can listen back to all this show on the OTB Sports app available now in the App Store or Google Play so we'll start with the Champions League final lads it was a Champions League final not really all that exciting a good match between two decent sides the overarching theme from this was Pep Guardiola's overthinking it was a big question going into the game was he going to overthink it was he going to change his lineup and he went ahead and changed it for the shits and giggles. He brought in Raheem Sterling for Fernandinho, went all gung-ho attack. And you're just wondering, Pep, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this on the biggest stage, on the biggest match of the season? Why are you changing it now all of a sudden? So, Colm, first question, why does Pep do this? I don't know. He can't help but do a Ron Burgundy-style solo. Flute solo on the on stage. like, and, and also on the biggest stage in Glastonbury when he's headlining. He just can't help himself because it's like it all comes too easy for him otherwise and he's cheating and it's like, you know, he has a game on football manager and his team is too good. So he's like, all right, I'm going to be bored of this. Let's see how else I can win it. But it's like, don't be bored, Pep. It's your first ever European Cup final with this team and you haven't won a tournament in exactly 10 years and it will be at least 11 now. But uh, when I watched it, like, bear in mind, lads, Manchester United supporter, I was angry at the lineup because, I, I mean, out of, out of the... The two of them, I think they're the lesser of two evils, just about, in my opinion. Just because Chelsea are at it a bit longer, so I just hate them a bit more. But I, and, I, and I really do like Pep. Um, but what, for me, like, yeah, the Rodri and Fernandinho's dropping is crazy. But also the face, the, just out of the blue face in Raheem Sterling, who's had a dreadful season. Um, and then, like, even taking the Ironman after De Bruyne went off. And then it just really shows without Fernandinho there, there's a, and okay, Diaz may be the exception, but there's a real lack of leadership in that team. Mm-hmm. And they can go from being um, exceptional and sublime, and that 2017-18 side is probably the best the Premier League has ever seen, and it hasn't changed an awful lot since then. But when they lose one or two players, they suddenly look pretty uninspiring at that elite level. And then having said that, Rian Maris swings his right foot at the ball at the last minute, and I was sure that was going in based on Edouard Mendy's reaction to it. But Chelsea were good value and it was upsetting to see. But I mean, Pep, like, I have an awful feeling that he's not going to get another opportunity with Manchester City in the Champions League final. And that will define him now. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird one because, 
And I was angry when I saw the lineup too because I was on the Paddy Power half hour backing Man City to the hilt because I thought Fernandinho would do the job that was required of him. And Nathan Murphy made a very good point on the news round on Wednesday night or Tuesday night rather about Fernandinho and Rodri and Pep and Busquets. Busquets did the exact same job as Fernandinho was doing and as Rodri was doing. He is the point of breaking up the uh, def- the attacks from the opposition. He's the point of starting the attacks for whatever team Man City are playing. And they're one of these underrated players, one of these players that does the uh, quote-unquote unseen work. But Fernandinho's work was very much seen because when you take him out, when you take Rodri out, when you take that, that base off the midfield, you very much see that Man City are a very different side. And the Sterling thing was very strange because... Sterling's been out in the cold for so long now and you throw him into the biggest game of the Champions League and you're thinking maybe one the the early stages of the first half, you see that ball from Ederson over the top of the Chelsea defence, Sterling gets onto it and that's why he was there. But surely you want Foden to be on that, who's who actually has a touch and can take that ball down and can finish it and is composed. And it I just seems so needless to change the shape, change the team and change the dynamic of the Man City squad just for one game and one game only in the biggest game of the year. Kieran, he got a massively wrong. That's the only way you can really say. Yeah, like uh, um, you, everyone obviously says it and, and I completely agree. Uh, I, I think what we also fail to really uh, take into account when we're looking at it is what do the players think when they hear that lineup at the start? Like the players that are playing that have been shifted to one or two areas out of you know where they, where they ordinarily are. Like I know the whole thing with Pep's system and the Barcelona system is to almost make it completely automatic, where you know you can kind of replace one and shift them about and stuff like this. But it just doesn't work like that. Like and the you need that sort of metronomic. Um, presence of someone like uh, Fernandinho or Rodri at the, at the base of it, literally so that the the two or three in front of them don't have to keep thinking about what's behind them. And for the most part, like, so like when I saw that lineup and more particularly actually when I saw Pep's um, pre-match interview, I thought, oh God, he's really, uh, he's really nervous. Like you could, he was making these sort of one word answers, couple of line answers to, I think it was Des Kelly beforehand. And I just remember thinking, yeah, like you'd want to be making sure that that nervousness or perceived nervousness is not emanating into your team, particularly in a situation where you have made a couple of bold calls. Now, I think with what we know about Pep, it was, and obviously with what happened, it's easy to look and think, oh, well, that was a disaster. But I did kind of look at the lineup at the start and thought, geez, that's bold. Like if nothing else, like his, his, his clear intention was, right, we're going to go out and we're going to smother them. And we're going to score two, three or whatever, and then try and shut up shot. But the problem is that happens, that, that will happen against most sides. But Chelsea are a really mature, good side all of a sudden. And they're really good at like, not many teams can soak up that kind of pressure and play on the break with such like quick uh, you know, fleet of foot and fleet of thought, really. So um, it was certainly a fair result on the night. And when De Bruyne went off particularly, and obviously it was a horrible collision and, and Rüdiger, I think, probably should have been sent for that personally. But regardless, uh, I kind of got the feeling, yeah, this is, this, this is not going to end well. And also mm-hmm. suddenly, and it's kind of something we'll probably come on to with United as well, in, when things start going against uh, City, um, you start seeing different uh, sides to different characters and players and stuff like that. Like I started looking at 
Gabriel Jesus and Riyad Mahrez and even Foden at times and just thought, I don't think you're, I don't think you have the mentality for what's needed here. I don't think you have that hard bitten kind of character that needs needs to get you over the line. So anyway, yeah, it was disappointing for City, but I, I, I must admit I was bizarrely happy for Chelsea because Tuchel there really nailed it. And like in contrast to the interview that we were talking about with Pep, uh, he came out and he was bouncy and he was excited and he was buzzing for the occasion. And I genuinely at that time thought, yeah, I think that might give them the edge and they might be a little bit more free in their movement and it came to pass. Mm. I do find it very interesting when we get to this level of football because you're talking about technicalities, tactics, shape, different formations all come into play. And especially when you're talking about two minds like Thomas Tuchel and Pep Guardiola. But Ultimately, the systematic way that football is being run, Fernandinho being missing, and we see it with Man or with Liverpool this season with Van Dijk. There are there the fatal flaw is the fact that they're reliant on systems and key players to shape that system. If you think about the great United team of ninety nine, was it as tactically uh, nice as this Man City side? Was it as developed as that? No, but you had nine or ten top quality players who were brilliant, but if you took them out of the side, the system didn't collapse. I always, I think with the modern way of football, the systems collapse too easily if you're missing those key players. If you're missing Fernandinho, look at what that did to Zinchenko. Look at what Sterling's uh, position did to the rest of the team, like Foden, and then Liverpool as well with Van Dijk. With him missing, the difference that made to their system, they're almost reliant on key positions rather than key players and I think you're better to be relying on key players and I know that's a probably a too simplistic way of looking at it but that, that I think it's very interesting how easily these really really intelligent tactical systems can fall apart if you take one one cog out of the wheel and uh, that's that's what happened Man City I think this uh, last week in terms of Tuchel and Chelsea, and this is an argument that I had. I was I was going for Man City for this because I had an argument with my friend about it. Chelsea finished fourth, Champions League winners. That's a better. That's probably a better season than Man City's, really, if we're talking about now, at this point. Um, well, what it's done is showing up Frank Lampard big time. Uh, that Tuchel managed that much success in such a short amount of time. Um, although I do have a certain degree of sympathy for Lampard because he, like people forget, he is it's not his fault he was given that opportunity, he was probably right to take it, even though most people said that's going to end in disaster for you. But go on, sure, you might as well take it. And he's very new to management, so I do feel a bit sorry for him. But it was like he didn't know what to do with all those good players he had. Whereas Tuchel came in and probably felt very bitter about the PSG exit to be fired on Christmas Eve as well. I'd say he took it personally and used it as fuel. And then he came to England on a really short contract, like a year and a half, and was like, I'm going to show them what, I, what I'm going to do. But also with that air of nothing to lose. And it was like Kieran was saying there in his pre-match uh, interview before the final, that he was bouncy and he was buzzy. And that's exactly what Tuchel is. He, it's like he approaches management like it's a young man's game. And he's excited about it. And he's like, well, if it doesn't work out here, I'm clearly good enough to get other opportunities. So I'm just going to mm-hmm. do my magic here. And I think he's, he's done remarkably well in the very short period of time he's had. I mean, it, it seems like very recently when the first game was the nil-nil home to Wolves, because I remember it was top of the agenda and off the ball that week and it was all the discussions about Lampard and that feels really recent. So he's done an awful lot of good damage to other teams in that time and they went through that bad spell as well 
just before the final and they recovered in time. And like Kieran says, I think uh, I think Tuchel nailed it. And also you just can't help but absolutely adore N'Golo Kante and just how brilliant he is. And and also just how incredible his CV is. I mean, he's won everything already and he's still a relatively young man. Um, but I think, uh, I think it is a more successful season than Man City to answer your question. And to also touch on another point you made there and uh, completely agree with you about the systems versus individual brilliance. And I was, when you were saying it, I was going to use the Manchester United example in 1999 because United were without their two central midfielders that night and Nicky Butt and David Beckham played in the middle and the job was done, albeit in a fluky manner, but the job was done. And uh, with Man City and with Pep, his puzzle is so intricate and beautiful when it's made and then one or two pieces fall out and he's, uh, he panics, doesn't know what to do because perfection is no longer attainable. And it's... You know, we've heard a lot in the last year with COVID is that perfection is the enemy of the good. And that seems to be the case for Pep when it goes that little bit wrong. Whereas Tuchel's very adaptable in both his career and as a, as a tactician. And I think mm-hmm. that's what we saw in the Champions League final. And I think that Tuchel has had a brilliant half season. Whatever happens here, this is no Roberto Di Matteo. This is very deliberate. This is how we're going to win. And we've won that way. And who knows, this could be the start of something or I'll go on to something else. It's the best news for Tuchel rather than Chelsea, I think. Yeah. And just on one, one thing that, sorry, just to come in, like the, the, the point about Lampard there is like how much, you know, it'd be interesting to know how many people were clamoring for AVB to get um, credit in 2012 when Dimitri lifted it. Like it's, you can give him a little bit for, for bringing through Mount and Reese James and a couple of others. And that, that is laudable. Like, and that might not have happened with other players, but the, the uh, with other managers, but this idea of crowbarring him in, it's such an English media thing. I saw Jake Humphrey tweeting about it. I was just like, oh, mate, turn him <laughs> But like the, the point of the column made, sorry, I'm not trying to knock things off course, but like the, the, the thing about Pep and Tuchel, Tuchel walks that line of being able to be quite loose and give instruction and, you know, do it with a lightness without this skittish intensity that Pep seems to like, emanate into others which works when it's going well really well but when it doesn't it, it looks really off key um so it was really interesting seeing the kind of contrast of the two mm. i i don't remember a manager coming in and yes you get the, your manager's bounce most times but i don't remember a manager coming in and having the impact that Tuchel has had with this chelsea side because he i obviously he had a ready-made super club there with mm. really good players really talented players who just weren't working under lampard system but the improvements that they've made in four months. They've they've come on from a team that were eighth in the Premier League to Champions League winners in four months. And you have to give Roman Abramovich some credit here for sticking to his game plan of just being absolutely ruthless with his management selections and, you know, making the critical decisions when they need to be made, which probably brings me on to our next point, the Europa League final. <laughs> Let's talk about Ollie. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the, the I, I I think it's unfair that people are already jumping on that Ollie should be sacked after the Europa League final loss bandwagon. But like, is it is it now the time where United need to look at this and think, right, is Ollie going to get United over the line? Is he going to get them to that final? And it might take him a couple of years, but is he going to get them there? That's the question. So I, I guess, Kieran, you're shaking your head the most at this. So let's let's talk about the Europa <laughs> League final. That was a really bad performance for Manchester United. Um, 
yeah this is the first time for one of these I've, I've made notes on this so you'll have to bear with me and i don't want to go on too mad around um wednesday that's, that's against the rules of team 33 <laughs> yeah i know yeah um wednesday was was extremely difficult to defend i think um i i think you you can as a fan and as a as a watcher of football you can excuse you know losing games it's absolutely fine it's all part of the sport like you, you can't you can't be you know the dunderhead and think you have a, a divine right to win everything but in this instance given that united were so much ostensibly the better side with the better resources and everything at their at their behest to put in such a passive and like just awful display a really bad display and show no ability to change things in the game until extra time when from 15 minutes into the game you could see that this was how it was going like uh, I think I'm, I'm, I've been very supportive of Oligan Solskjaer and, and he has made big improvements and I do want to see that continue because I, I don't think we're in a position where we can change this now but I, I think that Wednesday changed the, the balance slightly of Solshine now being seen as bottling big games, and uh, and I know that sounds extremely harsh because he does do well against you know City and Liverpool and Chelsea, but the league games are very different to those, the likes of semi-finals, the likes of the the latter uh, end of the Champions League group stages this year, the um, semi-final against Sevilla in Cologne last year. When you break down each of those individual cases, it's an inability to actually affect the game in game that is undermining the the argument to keep him in place in situ. And it really, like, I, I, I'm I'm at the point, I think, where unless something drastic changes in the, in, in the sort of, you know, first half of the season, I think, you know, I'd really have to look at change because just to, I, I don't want to rant, but I just want to make a couple of points. It, on, on Pogba, for example, it was very clear very early on that he was having one of those games and he gave away the ball for the, for the goal. Um, and then, the way Villarreal was setting up it was very clear that they needed someone quite intricate that was going to be able to take these small, you know, get into pockets of space, make small passes and take advantage of Cavani's movement, etc. So you, you've got someone like Van der Beek or Mata who have, you know, admittedly had their issues with form and, and fitness or whatever, but they are suited to that kind of occasion when after 75, 80, 90 minutes, like Pogba was just falling out of the game. Rashford was all over the place. He's been carrying an injury since December. And again, it comes back to squad management because Solskjaer, is n- the amount of minutes that have gone through the legs of the likes of Fernandes, Maguire, Rashford, um, and in all others at this stage, Luke Shaw, for example, Wan-Bissaka, like you need to be able to manage that. And through, throughout points in the season, he didn't take the chance to rest his players. Mm-hmm. And it comes home to roost. And the fact is, and sorry, I don't mean to ramp, but like the, we're in a three-year period now from the end of last year with COVID, um, the Euros now, and then the World Cup next year, that there's basically no time to rest. So you have to be all that all that like key on squad management. Um, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll stop it there for a minute. So I really don't want to just run and rave. So take, 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 take a breath, take a breath, take, take two. Yeah. So uh, yeah, the, the game management conversation is one that we should get into because uh, listen, I, again, all the owners saw share cards on the table. I think he, he has improved United, but one of the key weaknesses is definitely game management. And just if you look at the Europa League final in its own entirety, 
Villarreal, this is a substitution. So 60 minutes, Villarreal make their first sub, 77, they make their second, 77, they make they make a double substitution then for two players coming on, then 88, another Villarreal substitution. Uh, that's a double one as well. So two players come on, two players off. United don't make their first substitution until 100 minutes into this game and it's Fred coming on for Mason Greenwood. This is the point where you're thinking, okay, well, United need to get a goal here. United need to break down this really strong defense, this really organized team. Fred is not the player that's going to play the pass that's going to break down this team. Then 116 minutes, Daniel James comes on for Paul Pogba. This is the point where you're thinking there's going to be penalties. So you might want Paul Pogba, one of the best penalty takers in the team, to be on the pitch. And then 116, Eric Bailly comes on, or uh, Twan Zabie comes on for Eric Bailly, and Scott McTominay comes off for Alex Telles with Juan Pesaka coming off for Juan Mata. So he's making the substitutions just before the penalty shootout. That's like there was a question mark whether the ball would go out of play with enough time before the penalties happen so these would happen so uh, there's an, a, a reluctance for him to make the subs and you can say that it's because of the lack of squad depth and squad quality but Fred for Mason Greenwood is not the right substitution to make in that situation Colin No but I don't know why everyone's so surprised in many ways like, it just shows his inexperience and uh, I think Solskjaer and United, it's the worst kind of failure because he improves it to such a level and he gets mm-hmm. to that ceiling and then he, his head is squashing against it. And he's been in this job for two and a half years, which is a long time in modern football at that level. And I think Solskjaer himself, personally, based on his CV as a manager, has done a brilliant job. He's completely exceeded his expectations from a manager who managed Molde. And in fairness, he won the Norwegian League with Molde when they hadn't won it in a long time. And with Cardiff, he was in a hiding to nothing there because they were as good as down when they hired him. So, based on his experience, Such has done a really good job of bringing in the right kind of youth to the team and exuberance and building the type of, of side that, you know, Alex Ferguson was trying to build in the late 80s and early 90s. Obviously, Ferguson had better options. But Solskjaer's, um he's engaging with that spirit um but it gets you to a certain level and the difference is that Alex Ferguson had brilliant success at Aberdeen and was also a one-off genius and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is not and he's done a very good job but if he left in the morning who would take Solskjaer in the Premier League like maybe Wolves and would they would he improve them I don't know because I don't know his style of play I don't know what he would do with Wolves and uh I was just sitting there at the Villarreal match and I had this really uh, conflicting feeling, right, in that, of course, I wanted United to win. But United also won the Europa League in 2017 when I didn't really want them to win either because Jose Mourinho was manager and it meant he would stay for longer. And there was that kind of feeling if United had beaten Villarreal in penalties, I was thinking, well, that probably buys Solskjaer at least another two years. And is that really the right thing for this club? Because... I can't see United winning the Premier League under Solskjaer. I can't see them winning the Champions League under Solskjaer. So I don't know what the end game is here. I really don't. I think he's done a really good job. But I think the final is a perfect example of, of a shortcomings. And I was actually quite happy with the starting eleven because he finally got over his obsession with Fred and got rid of him and brought in a, a much better team, a much more fluid team in, in the final six. It, was, it, it looked really well on paper. 
But as much as he's obsessed with Fred, he just has this problem with Donny van de Beek that I don't know what it is. He probably didn't want him in the first place. But as Kieran said, that, that game was, it was made for the likes of the subtlety and technique and vision of Juan Mata and van de Beek. And uh, he, he just stayed so predictable. And you know, there are certain players that just are immovable in Solskjaer's eyes. And Rashford's one of them. And Marcus Rashford, like Raheem Sterling, is not having a good season. And you need to be ruthless. You need to be... You ne- he actually... There's a fine line in the last couple of weeks between Pep Guardiola's crazy decision-making and changes and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's stasis. And the middle ground, it turns out, is Thomas Tuchel. And that's mm-hmm. what everyone needs to... If you can get to Tuchel level of efficiency, you're going to do fine. But uh, with Solskjaer, I, I don't know where it's all going long-term. And I was happy for Villarreal. I really was. Um, and I'm not surprised that how it went. I was I was happy for Unai Emery because if there's ever a you know vindication for being sacked by a club that's clearly a basket case in Arsenal, and it is it's to knock them out of the Europa League and go on to win the competition with a club like Villarreal, who you know it's an amazing story. Kieran, I'll let you have the last word on uh, United. <laughs> Might be a while. No, no, just just on one point in the but Carl made at the start and uh, he was talking about the Fred for Greenwood thing showing inexperience and I, I definitely get why. But what that also seems to show to me, and like I'm low to pretend that I know more than experienced coaches, like I'm not trying to say that. What it seems to me is he doesn't understand what they need to do. Like it's showing like you're trying to play for penalties, which you have to be able to take the initiative. This is like the, the, I know it sounds arrogant, but like this is what those elite clubs are there to do. They set the tone. They tell. They, they set the blueprint for the game. They say, right, you come beat us because like, we're going to come and beat you anyway. Leaving that side, the 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 the, the substitutions thing I really can't get over because we don't need to do the whole Henderson De Gea thing because that, that should be blatantly obvious what should have happened there by now. But the fact that there was it was either total passivity or this sort of. Even I was watching the game, my old man, and he goes, why is he not making his subs? And I was, like, I was thinking the same thing, but then I said to him, oh, mate, I don't know, maybe he's trying to make a point to the board. And then as soon as the, the words left my mouth, I was like, well, that's ridiculous anyway. But he just goes, European final is not the, the, the place to do that. And like, if that's what, and I'm, again, I'm speculating, so I'm not presuming mm. that's the case, but that, that's ridiculous. But the problem is that it speaks to a, a big problem at Manchester United, which is there is a malaise there that Oli can only take a certain amount of the, the blame for. Like, at the moment, we're like Arsenal a few years ago in the transfer market, where you always go into a season a day late and a dollar short in one or two key positions across the squad. And the problem that they have now, when they do need to, they, they need to go out and get a centre-back, they need to get a right winger, a defensive midfielder, and probably back up for right back as well. You have to do four key pieces of business in a, in a summer with the Euros, when because of the inactivity last season, this mad supermarket scramble at the end of it, you have to then play catch up for the next um, few windows against people who are good at getting their stuff done. Look at Liverpool. Liverpool go out and get Canate. I've no doubt going at Rafinha or Tielemans or whoever it might be because they do their business well. United will struggle because they they made this baffling decision to or, or seem to be on the verge of replacing someone like Woodward with Richard Arnold, where it's basically a you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss thing, where they, they can save themselves money by going out and getting a, def- a, a director of football who is 
football has a football mind but can also work within the strictures that are going to come with the Glazers. Everyone knows what they're about and it'll save their money if, as is blatantly obvious, they, they want to take money out of the club as dividends. So it's just immensely frustrating because I... I I, I don't think anything will change. And I, I, Ollie has to take some of the blame, but, you know, but also he's only part of the problem here. Like the, the, there's going to be trouble at United this summer if, if things go badly wrong in the transfer window again. Like everything is set up. There's a concatenation of stuff here that's not well set up. And I don't know, man, I, I just feel like, yeah, that Wednesday really just tip things in, in favour of, um, in terms of a general fan base, I think in terms of, you know, patience with uh, that whole project. Yeah, I think the key point here is that, you know, you can sack Ollie, you can get rid of Ollie, but the underlying issues of exactly that you've just outlined still exist. And the transfer sagas run on and run on and run on. And then you see Man City and Liverpool, any player they want, they go out and get them. And it's done within a week and a half when Thiago was linked. It was just done. It was there. It was over the line. It wasn't this saga that's drawn out in front of the media for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And you're you're clearly at a weak negotiation point. I will be talking about the Euros. We will be talking about the Euros after the break because Kieran, as you as you hear from Kieran's accent, he's not from Ireland. He's not he's not Irish. So we're talking about England. We're talking about England's Euros because England uh, they announced their squad during the week. Obviously some interesting talking points there. So we're going to be talking about England's Euros coming up uh, in the summer and we're going to be selecting who we think Gareth Southgate should be picking in his starting eleven. Stay tuned. Team 33. This is OTB Sports Radio. Hey, welcome back to Team 33. It's Andy here with Colin Buig and Karen Bradley on the line. We're talking about the Euros now and we're going to be selecting our England Euros 11. I know that sounds a little bit dirty for an Irish radio station to be doing, but, you know, Kieran is English, so we're going to be pandering to him and pandering to the Premier League fans now over the next half an hour or so while we finish off the show. So we're going to be selecting the... 11 that we would pick for Gareth Southgate so there obviously there's a lot of choices here lads this is probably the strongest England squad there's been in a long time whatever you want to say about Gareth Southgate this this is exciting for an England fan if you're looking at this team you're looking at years of uh, rebuilding their structure so they're getting away from the British style of football they're creative they're attacking they're fluid fluid going forward and Karen, I suppose I'll let you have the first word here because this you you should be excited as an England fan watching this team. Yeah, I am. Um, and you say about the rebuilding thing because, uh, as far as I'm aware, I think it was around 2008 after they uh, kind of capitulated in the qualification for the Euros that the FA took the decision to kind of have a look at what the Spanish were doing, particularly at that time, and change and become a little bit more technically minded. And if you look at the likes of Phil Foden and Reese James and Kyle Saka and, and various coming through, these are the, the this is the generation um, that is the culmination of that. So it's it's very interesting. Um, as was said at ad nauseam during the World Cup as well, they they do seem like a reasonably not nice bunch, like a, a likable bunch of sort of son-in-laws. So it'll be nice to uh, get on board with people who aren't doing any number of despicable things, um, as has been the case with England squads in the past. Um, there's there's a real sense of youth, and Tomo, uh, when he was on with Joe last night, just said it really well that like he he's looking forward to Qatar, and I, I think I think his main point is like it'll just be nice to see this the, these this kind of squad develop and mould uh, itself, and hopefully Southgate will be there um, having had a. a 
good tournament as well. Um, there's a lot of really, really likable players, even from clubs that, you know, that you wouldn't necessarily kind of have that affinity for. But the likes of Saka, uh, I love to see. Reese James has been, I mean, superb this season. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very excited. I, I'm, this Today, I'm English, right? As soon as the Ireland roll English. around, I'll be Irish again. It's the, the, the sort of national glory hunter zone. No, well, that's it. So I, I think it's uh, kind of hilarious that England have this amazing group of players and they decide to uh, manage, be selector manager of Gareth Southgate, the most boring manager of all time, who's so like conservative. I, I almost want Pep Guardiola to be in charge of this side. So he just goes gung-ho and throws every single forward player that they have at the team. Although he has selected four right backs. So, I mean, they're going to be right heavy at least in none of them are particularly good at defending. So, uh, Colm, let's let's start with your team then. I, I give Karen the first word. So, what formation are you going for with this team? So, there's obviously, there's tons of players to select from here. What what formation are you going for? I'm going for 5-3-2 formation, as you've both seen already, sent on the graph that I made. Uh, so, it's 5-3-2 in writing. Um, but actually, it's really inspired by Antonio Conte's 2016-17 Chelsea side, and it's a 3-4-3 in reality. But I'll read it out as the 5-3-2. So on goal, uh, it was, I mean, you're talking 51-49 just in favour of Jordan Pickford for me. Uh, just uh, over Dean Henderson. I'm, I'm uh, disgusted I mean, in you. I'm disgusted in you. I, uh, I, do you know uh, what? There's a, there's a national shortage of goalkeepers for Sunday League football right now, and I don't think our team would take Jordan Pickford at this point. Uh, I mean, that's I mean, that's, that's a populist comment. That's a ridiculous comment. Uh, <laughs> you know, you'll get like uh, Matt LeBlanc and uh, the pipe man being like, oh, too right, too right. And then <laughs> like, stop. I mean, uh, the recency bias here. Yeah, okay. Pickford hasn't been great for uh, a He's while, shite, is what but, he is. Uh, I'm not even beating <laughs> around the bush. Of a show. There's no need for that. They're... Um, no, I, I would just have Pickford over Henderson because I I would fear from England's point of view, I mean, I don't care, but I would fear from England's point of view that Henderson might, uh, might battle it a bit on the biggest stage. Just 1% more than Pickford will because Pickford has been, I mean, Pickford got to the semi-final of the World Cup as the, as the goalkeeper. So I would, for that reason alone, I would have Pickford. And there has been, uh, examples of the past in international tournaments at World Cups at Euros where out of form club players have brilliant tournaments so that's what I would just go for Pickford but um, I would have gone for Pope had he been fit so uh, so Pickford just gets in so my back three I'm going for a back three which is inspired by Garrett Southgate tactical genius uh, that he went for the back three at the World Cup last time and I think that's the best way to to uh, utilise um the, the, the creative players in the team but also hide the weakness and the weakness of England is in defence so my three centre halves are John Stones who's admittedly had a very good season alongside Ruben Diaz I'm going to have Harry Maguire who is the most awkward looking brilliant player in my opinion he's Maguire's a brilliant player um, and he gets a lot a lot of the blame Manchester United and I really don't think he deserves it and alongside them I would have the converted international centre back of Kyle Walker but, I mean, Walker can do a job in goal for you. So he can do a job as a third centre half. And his remarkable pace alone, his recovery pace, um, it rivals like Mika Richards' the best recovery pace I've ever seen in the Premier League. And mm-hmm. Walker may not have the best positional awareness in the world, but his recovery alone would uh, nudge me just to put him in the team. 
Um, the left wing back, I put Ben Chilwell ahead of Luke Shaw, which is relatively close, but I think Chilwell's riding high in the Champions League success. He had a good game in the final. So again, I would just have him over Shaw. There's a lot of really marginal calls. Uh, right wing back for me was a no-brainer in uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold. I can't believe there was a possibility that he wasn't going to be in the squad. Uh, Kieran Trippier's had a brilliant season. Fair play to Trippier for going out to Spain in the first place after he had a brutal last season with Spurs in 2018-19 after the success of the World Cup. Um, and went out to Spain, played in a very difficult team to play in with Diego Simeone, Atletico Madrid, and they've just won the league for the first time since 2014, and Trippier was central to that, so fair play to him. But I think Trent Alexander-Arnold is the best right back or right, right wing back, whatever you want to call him, in the world, just because of his delivery alone. His delivery is by far the best in football since David Beckham's. I'd have him in the team for that. Don't mind about his lack of defence, there's three centre-backs behind him. Right wing back, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Midfield, uh, I'm going with Declan Rice. He's probably not going to be fully fit, but I'd have uh, a just-off at Rice over a just-off at Henderson. So that's why I put Rice in there. Uh, alongside him, I'm going to go Jude Bellingham. Um, if you're good enough, you're old enough, lads. So I wouldn't worry about his relative inexperience. He's well used to the big games of Borussia Dortmund. I know that it's suffocating playing for England in major tournaments by all accounts, but I would say that Bellingham is probably just that sweet spot, spot of being so young that that type of doubt and cynicism maybe hasn't crept into his mind yet. Now, this tournament will probably ruin him psychologically forever, but I would, I would certainly start him there. Um, and then ahead of them, I would have Mason Mount. Um, I think that's a no-brainer just because of how brilliant he's been with Chelsea. Um, Frank Lampard's fine, of course, but Tuchel took him on another level again. And um, I was actually a bit of a Mount doubter before, and not just because Lampard brought him in in the whole... Uh, English uh, preference in the media I, I thought he's okay and then I thought no he's last six months and this guy's superb and um, I'd have obviously Harry Kane as the spearhead and then either side uh, sorry just next to uh, Harry Kane I'd have Phil Foden who I would have in the team just ahead mm-hmm. of Jack Grealish um, and also Jaden Sansel is quite unlucky to miss out but I'm going to go with my wit with Chilwell and Alexander-Arnold they have all the work to do in my wit because I'm trying to get the most amount of good players in in the centre and I still miss out on some excellent players. So that's my thing. Yeah. I think Bellingham's so, a good So try. just, uh, sorry, good. Uh, well, Bell, on, on Bellingham, the fact that he's too young, I mean, Michael Owen, Wayne Rooney announced themselves on the European uh, platform yeah. with England. So I think Bellingham is liable to do that as well. What are you saying, Kieran? I was just going to say, like, Foden fresh out of the frying pan of Pep Guardiola shifting him uh, where he doesn't want to be to Buick sticking him up top with, uh, with Kane. No, 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 yeah. he's not up, top, he's not up top. It's a 3-4-3, three, three, as I said. So he's playing mm. in that, that beautiful free role, uh, no man's land Zinchenko, what am I doing out here, but further up the pitch. And um, he'll be looking across to his buddy Mason and be like, what are you doing? And he'll be like, I don't know, beats me. But we'll have we'll have some fun with this and get loose with it, and that's what. So, so it's this, yeah, it's, it's nice. It's this kind of freeform jazz with like Buick on the touchline with his trumpet. It's amazing. <laughs> what a lovely little bit of music. yeah. I'd have Julian Nagelsmann no, no, no. in uh, first half of this season fashion on the sideline. Be like, just, <laughs> just with it, guys. It's fine. Declan's back there. It's great. Right, before, before we move on to my team, then, Karen, uh, Colm, what's what's your managerial uh, sideline look? Then are you going tracksuit? Are you going suit? Are you going well dressed? Or what's the crack? I don't know. It's a good question. I think about it every. Are you other shaving day. your hair? Are you um, getting a haircut? No, no, because there's a lack of long-haired managers. So I probably have that. I probably be a hands in the pockets manager. With um, I could probably look back into the bench every softball. Like, have you seen this? And uh, I probably, I probably be a standing up guy. 
And I'd say I'd go for the 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 slim fit tracksuit. I think, oh, but it, not one of those baggy baggy outfits. They were like yeah, it's, yeah, it, yeah. it's slim fit tracksuit. I think, yeah. Mm. Karen, yeah. rate his uh, England team out of ten. Then, if you're an England fan, I like that team. Yeah, uh, I would go for uh, let's a totally. No, 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 no. I didn't tell, tell I didn't tell you to tell me your team. I said to rate his team because we're going to do your team uh, last. Oh, I know I was. Yeah, I, I, I totally arbitrary. Uh, seven and a half out of ten. Seven and a half. Out of ten. That's pretty. That's pretty decent. That's pretty decent. Let's let's well, move well, on to my team you, then. What do you think, Ender? What do you think? Uh, I I would go. I I'd probably I mean, go about. Good, I could just do it a bit different. You're almost I could, right. I give it right. about. I give it about seven out of ten. I'm not having Jack Relish not on the bench and. Well, he's on the bench. I, I th- or not on the not on the certain team. Sorry, Jack Relish should be starting in the team, and I think. Chilwell shouldn't be starting. I don't think he's uh, at at Luke Shaw's level of this season. But hey, he's a good player. He's a good player. Listen, it's a good, it's a good team. It's a, it's a pretty good team. But is is it as good as this team? I'm going with a four one three two style formation. It's almost like sort of like a Christmas dream for, formation if you look at it that way. So Henderson starts in goals, obviously, because he's the starting goalkeeper for the second best team in England or the team at least to finish second in the Premier League and not Jordan Pickford. <clears throat> the uh, back four is Luke Shaw at left back, Maguire at left centre back because you've got that partnership already there. It makes sense. Luke Shaw obviously transformed his career as well. John Stones is the right centre back. And I that, that is the side I'm worried about. So, you know, bear with me. And uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold as the right back. So obviously there's some issues there. John Stones, is he good enough to do it on by himself because Trent's going to be in the, in, out of the picture? Then that's the question mark over my team, I think. But Declan Rice, who's playing as the base of the midfield, he should be doing a lot of that heavy lifting as well. So if John Stones has to shift out to right back, then Declan Rice will be falling back into that centre-back position. And I've gone all gone gung-ho. I've, I've picked the team that I think will score loads of goals. Will they win the tournament? They might not, but they'll play brilliant football. Uh, then the the midfielders are Jack Grealish on the left, Mount in the middle, because like you, one of them, I was a Mount daughter and he has proved me ma- badly wrong. And then Jaden Sancho as the right winger. Then kind of like what you were saying with Foden, not quite up front, but playing that sort of free roaming role beside Harry Kane up front. And I think you got bags of goals in that ge- in that team. What's your? What are you wearing on the sideline? On the sideline, I'm a Pep Guardiola man. I'm uh, not Pep Guardiola in the last couple of years because I think he's let himself go a little bit, which is partly to do like partly down to like some of the football they've been playing. Uh, but the sort of black, slim chinos with the black runners and a grey jumper, maybe a nice grey fitting jumper or a uh, nice nice t shirt of some sort, something slick but not 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 a suit. And are um, you worried? About, are you worried about Declan Rice's well-being? Oh God, no! I, I, picked it. I don't. I don't care if they're fit or not. Like this is just hypothetical. No, no, no. I mean, like the burden of responsibility on Declan. No, no. Yeah, no, exactly. No, no, he's he's captain material. No, but no, the, yeah, but you, the tactical you, burden on him. Like, I mean, the rest of the team, like they're gone. Like he, there, he's in the pub and they're in the nightclub. Like they're a few hours ahead of him, and he's like, I have to buy all. I have to buy all this drink myself. Like yeah. he. I, that's it's too much for any any man, even in Golo would would question you. 
No, you see, it doesn't matter because if if the other team scores three goals, we're going to score four, four goals. I think you're sabotaging the team on purpose because it's England, personally. Name me a better attacking lineup than that. That's creativity all over the shop. It's so uh, like you, you don't want to end up with fried rice. Do you know what I mean? Really? <laughs> yeah, that's disgraceful. Now nah, shut up. All right, come on. Are we coming on to mine? I know what. Like, uh, you know, you can't call me a town for the entire year and just leave me last. Like, well, I don't. I don't believe I use that uh, term terminology on the show. But I mean, if you want to call, you want to call yourself that, you can call yourself that. I mean, that, that's a self title from, from this perspective. But uh, so, right then, come on, then England man. What what is your what is your England starting team of the Euros? I love, I, love, I love throwing you off, off key there. All right, so we've got a big hendo in goal because um, apparently England only deal in busy goalkeepers nowadays. So he's the, the marginally less busy of the two. Can I, can um, I add an I, annoyingly, annoyingly like cocky as well? For the, <laughs> oh, yeah. Relative to their talent. So hard Euro 2012. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Between Hart, Pickford, and Henderson, like the, the levels of self delusion is astonishing. All right, so first of all, I'm, I've gone for like a kind of rough three four three formation, mainly because I think that's that's kind of what Southgate's going to go for. So, left centre back uh, Harry Maguire. He's obviously um, his importance to Manchester United has become very apparent over the last few weeks, in particular. Uh, John Stones, uh, the centre of the three, insofar as he can kind of step out into midfield. The good thing with this is like. Maguire can step out into midfield. Stones can step out into midfield. So basically, there's a lot of uh, a lot of onus on Reese James, who's the last third uh, centre back. So he's he's already playing out of position, and he's going to be covering for these two roaming centre backs that are overlapping in a kind of Chris Wilder style. So we've got Maguire, Stones, and James. Um, left wing back slash left back is is Luke Shaw. I think Luke, uh, Luke Shaw's had a really fantastic season, um, and I, I think the only question that Southgate will really have is is how many minutes are in the legs between Shaw and Chilwell. That's a pretty close call, I think, for, for the manager. Um, the same thing with uh, Rice here at, at defensive midfield. Like, he's going to be <laughs> shouldering a lot of the burden. I think Southgate might, uh, he might opt for having even like a Calvin Phillips in there alongside yeah. Rice as well. And yeah. he might um, shed one of these forwards, which is frustrating. I think it's been quite frustrating in watching uh, the, the qualifying. Um, right wing back slash right uh, back is Trent as well. Trent was, you know, he had a really poor start to the season, but he certainly salvaged it in the last uh, the last few months. So ahead of Rice uh, in the middle, uh, I've got Grealish in a, in a fairly open roaming role, probably uh, in and around the centre and, and left of the um, of the front third. On the left, I've got Phil Foden um, playing where he can play a lot of the time for City. Um, I think he's just. I mean, this really could be Foden's breakout tournament. Like he is, he's something else. Like he's he's a, he's a freak, really. And like I think if you're looking for the kind of the 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 symbol of uh, England's renaissance in terms of how they've changed their structures and changed their training at youth level, like Phil Foden may well be it because he's a combination of of just raw talent and he's obviously got a great manager at club level I and mean, he's been honed really really well. Um, on the right, I've got Sancho. I think. Um, Sancho's speed and, and uh, close control will be really important for England and Harry Kane up top. So, yeah, it's um, there's some close calls in there. Obviously, I know you guys have gone from Mount. Uh, I, I just I just love watching Jack Grealish. I just like he, he, you know, I think every 
club that has aspirations of winning the Premier League Champions League would be looking at Grealish. He's he's just so he's so loose, like he's but he's also got that drive. He's got the technique. He's got everything. I just think he's wonderful to watch. So he hasn't quite caught fire for England yet. And obviously, look, I know that neither of you are going to want to talk about Grealish and England shirt, and it doesn't really sit that well with me. But like, I really hope he has a good tournament, um, and it'll be really interesting to see how they uh, how they work out. Mm. Now, when it gets to these major tournaments, like obviously, I don't want England to win it, but I I just look for great football. That's all I want. It's a it's a summer of football. It's a festival of football. Anybody who entertains me and has a has a spark about him is going to be getting a, a going in my good books for the European Championship. So I do think Grealish is one of those players as well. So does Phil Thompson, who thinks that Grealish could be like the Gaza for this England squad. Which I mean, he's he's not far off in terms of. You know he's he's got the look already anyway, so he may as well bring the style. That is the European Championship sorted for one week at least. I think over the next couple of weeks we might start talking about the Euros even more and maybe doing a deep dive on some of the teams because obviously we're getting closer and closer to the major tournaments. So hopefully we will have an entertaining one, column. And Karen, thanks for joining me this evening. Cheers, boys. Team thirty three. This is OTB Sports Radio. Now you're welcome back. So that is all we have time for on this week's Team 33. Thanks to you as ever for listening. If you want to listen back to that show, you can get us on the OTB Podcast Network that is available in the OTB Sports app, which you can get in any app store. It's very good. You can get all the off the ball stuff there, articles, videos, podcasts, everything. You can subscribe and get notified every time a podcast goes live, which is very handy. We're going to have loads of European Championship stuff coming up over the next few weeks, so stay tuned for that. You can get that all in the OTB app as well we'll be back again with team 33 same time same place next week but until then Ewa Slang of Oil August Takeaway Johan